I thought they were going to make me preach from a pulpit and I was going to be in trouble. I'm Pastor Larry. I'm the executive pastor here at Black Rock. And this morning I'd like to talk on the subject of courage. <clears throat> Eddie Rickenbacker, the World War I ace who shot down 24 German pilots during the war, was, defined one, uh, was asked one time what he, uh, how he would define the word courage. And he said this, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you are deeply scared. There can be no courage unless you are deeply scared. Let's start with a definition of courage this morning. The definition I like best is a simple one. It goes like this, that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear itself. It's not, isn't it the overcoming of fear that causes us to like books like Into Thin Air by John Krakauer when he recounts the exploits of trying to climb Mount Everest? Or the newest book out on Broken by um, Louis Zapparini where he, it is related how he was not broken by the German concentration camps during the Second World War. Maybe it's this idea of courage that has drawn me, I think, to Acts, the 27th chapter. Being a sailor myself, I can appreciate the situation where Paul is involved in a wreck on the open ocean. And Luke records that for us, and so I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke 27. We're going to be following a very simple outline that goes like this, that the first lesson we can take from it is that the storms of life are often come into our, into our lives in unexpected hours. Secondly, the storms of life are often descend upon the innocent. <clears throat> and third, God is with us in the midst of the storms of life. As the story opens in Acts 27, chapter, Paul is on his way to Rome. It's not totally of his own volition, for he is a prisoner. And he's appealed as a Roman citizen to his right to go to Rome to be trialed on a capital offense. And so King Agrippa in Palestine and Israel has consigned him to a ship, Caesarea. And as the story opens, they're at Caesarea and they are about to depart for Rome by way of Crete. The time is undoubtedly October of 59 A.D. We know that because of the reference to the fast, and the only fast in the Roman or in the Jewish calendar is Yom Kippur. So, first one, when they decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some of the prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius. The progress of the boat is, is very, very slow. As they leave Caesarea, as they go west along the Mediterranean coast and then turn even even further west as they come to the uh, Crete and they're on the lee shore. If you're a sailor, you know that the one direction that you cannot sail in is directly into the wind. And so as the wind is on their bow, they have go through a series of tacks, Z and back and forth, and the progress is exceedingly slow. Luke gives us the account in verse 9. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because now it was after the fast. It's undoubtedly October 59 at this point. And Paul, as he looks over the sky, as he looks over the sea, as he looks, observes the wind, he realizes that they're in danger. And therefore, without any revelation from God, just because of his experience, he says in verse 10, 
Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our lives also. Paul is no stranger to the sea. If we followed his three missionary journeys, we would realize that he's traveled over 3,500 miles on a Mediterranean ocean. He observes what's going on, and he realizes that they're in danger. Paul has been, we find in uh, 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, verse 25, involved in three wrecks, three shipwrecks, one of which resulted in him being left on the sea for a day and a night. And so, verse 10, he reads the sky, reads the ocean, and says to the men, we are in danger. But the person in charge of the prisoners, the centurion Julius, follows the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship, and they're going to depart a safe, relatively safe anchorage in Fairhaven and make their way to Phoenix. As I read this passage, I wonder, why are there so many people on this boat? Well, who's on the boat? Well, there's Paul. And there's Luke, and there's Aristarchus, a friend of Paul's. And then there's a centurion, and there's the pilot, and there's the owner. But Luke records to us that there are 276 souls on that boat. Why so many people? So William Ramsey, who is an expert on the life of Paul, a scholar, wrote a book called St. Paul, Traveler and Citizen. Ramsey makes a strong case that what we have in this regard on this ship are a series of people that are not there. Not only, not only are they there as slaves, but they're on their way to the Roman Colosseums. That this actually is a slaver like the Amistad, but infinitely worse for the 276 souls, at least most of them, are bound as prisoners destined for the entertainment, the ghastly entertainment of the Colosseums as fodder for the gladiators and for the animals. The storms of life come upon these people in an unexpected way. They have no idea that it's going to happen. But secondly, the storms of life come upon these people on the ships and often in our lives because of the actions of other people. The people in this boat did not choose to be on the boat. They had not chosen to leave the safe anchorage of Fairhaven and go to the harbor of Phoenix. It was supposed to be a relatively mild sailing time. It's only 40 miles from Fairhaven to Phoenix. It would be like leaving Bridgeport Harbor and sailing down to New York City. It's a day sail. That's why the pilot is with them. Because it should only take, at the most, 10 hours. If they average four knots, they'll be there before nightfall. But they have no weather channel to check. And the weather turns against them, and that nor'easter comes upon them. That's what it says in verse 14 in your Bible. A terrible storm comes. Actually, the Greek word is typhanus. It's where we get the word typhoon. If you've been in the relatively calm waters in Long Island Sound, 
That's where I sail most of my time. If you get a northeasterly wind and the tides against you, you can get waves that are four, five, six, maybe even eight feet high. But in the Mediterranean, in the open ocean, you can get seas that are 30, 40, 50 feet high. If you've seen the movie The Perfect Storm, you can recall that situation out of Gloucester, Massachusetts, where they're out fishing the northern banks. And the perfect storm comes in. And as the boat is caught in, the, in that terrible storm, there are times when the boat rises to the precipice of a wave. And the wind is just shrieking. And then the bow tumbles over the top of the wave and starts down into the trough. And when it gets to the bottom of the trough, it can be almost quiet. Because it's 60 feet down in the water. But then the next wave comes and the bow starts to rise. The wind starts to shriek. And if they get to the top of a particular wave and something happens and they tumble over the top and the next wave catches the back of the boat, you can do, you can do what is known as pitch poling. You can go head over heels. This is a frightening situation. Remember, the whole story is unfolding. Because of the decision of other people outside the people on the boat other than the pilot, And Julius and the owner make the decision to sail. Some of us have been in similar situations. You did not want the divorce. It was forced upon you. You lost your job not because of your inefficiency, but because of bad decisions by other people. You're a Red Sox fan because your parents chose that for you. Part of your very DNA, and you look around at all the Yankee fans, although they're not doing so hot this year either, and you wonder, what happened? How did I get myself in this mess? All of us, if we're really serious, have suffered the consequences of other people's sin. And the terror does not end. Day 13, it continues on to day 14. It's unrelenting. Verse 20, when neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Notice the personal pronoun there. We gave up all hope of being saved. When the doctor gives up hope, you're in deep trouble. I have a little saying that I carried with me almost from the inception of my ministry. It goes like this. Take away a person's wealth and you will hinder his journey. Take away his health and his journey may hesitate for a while. But if you take away a person's hope, all journeys will cease. And that's what these men felt. Their hope of rescue. Their hope of surviving. Was slowly being ebbed away. Haven't you found in your life, as I have found in mine, that the short storms I can endure? And if I can see the harbor, I can roll up the sails and batten down the hatches. And I feel I'm going to make it. But when the problem goes on and on, and the suffering continues, I feel like giving up.
Paul gives, however, reasons of hope. Verse 24. Do not be afraid, he says. Fear will make cowards of us all. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear itself. You can picture Paul whispering these words, fear not. I don't think he whispered them at all. I think he had to shout them. Fear not. Verse 22, and now I urge you to keep up your courage. Your courage. Jumping down to verse 25, so keep up your courage. Don't let the circumstances overwhelm you. I came across a whimsical story of a, a tourist. She was a doctor. It was the first time she'd ever gone to the Grand Canyon. And as she looked over that, the majesty of that, of that uh, scene before her, as she looked at the clouds and looked down at the Colorado River, she stumbled and started to fall over the precipice. She grabbed a scrubby bush, and then she called out, Is there anyone up there? She looked upward. Yes, I am here, came a very deep voice. Can you help me, she said. Yes, I probably can, said the voice. What is your problem? I fell over the cliff, and I'm hanging onto this crummy little bush, and it's about to let go. Can you help me, please? The voice above calmly said, Do you have faith? Do you have courage? The doctor, feeling the roots slowly being torn away, time running out, cried in desperation, Of course I have faith. Well, said the calm voice, let go of the bush and it will be fine. There was a tense moment. The doctor looked up, again saw no one, finally called out, "Uh, Is there anyone else up there? I want a second opinion. Paul doesn't need a second opinion here. Turn back in your Bibles just four chapters to Acts 23. Paul is in the midst of a terrible catastrophe again. The crowd, this time in Jerusalem, is about to tear him apart, and he is saved by Roman soldiers who bring them into into their own barracks. And that night, as Paul is sleeping in that barracks, verse 11 An angel comes to Paul. Take courage, he says. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. There's something greater in Paul's life than fear itself. Yes, the storms of life come often unexpected. The storms of life descend upon often the innocent. But God is with us in the midst of the storm. It's been years since he's heard the voice. Now, in the midst of this next storm, verse 23. Last night, an angel of God, who I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Keep your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as it was told. I have faith in God that it will happen just as it was told. Hebrews, the first chapter, the 14th verse, says that there are ministering angels 
who come and minister to God's elect. And that's what Paul encounters in this narrative. We're going to hear the story of one of our missionaries, where an angel of the Lord comes and ministers to him during his time of doubt, during his time of fear. I have never had, as far as I know, an angel of the Lord come and minister to me personally. But there is a great promise, a promise that all of us know, that Paul writes to the church at Rome, the church he is going to visit. It's in the 8th chapter, the 28th verse. And we know that all things, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. That's a great verse of hope for us in the midst of our storm. That God works all things to the good to those who love him. Now there are two cautions even as we apply this verse to our lives. The first is that we have to be very careful that we don't say everything that happens to us is sent by God and is good. Know that divorce, if it came into your life, is a bad thing. The Ebola virus is a bad thing. Racism is a bad thing. What the verse says is that God can take the bad things of life and work them for our good. God is not the author of evil. And his permissive will, he may allow bad things to happen to us. And they are bad things. And we need not say praise God for everything that happens to us. For some of them are bad. The second caution. We have to be very careful that we do not seek the good thing that God is doing in our lives too quickly. All too often when a bad thing happens to me, I want to see almost immediately, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? And that's a good question to ask. But I have to be very careful about trying to make that application too quickly. It was C.S. Lewis, I think, who said this, that the most often repeated word when we first get to heaven will be the word, oh. Oh, that's what God was doing. Oh, that's how God took that bad situation and made it good for me. But we can apply this verse to our lives. That God is in the business of taking the bad things that happen in our lives and causing it for our good. I don't know what struggle you're working with this day. We're going to have people in the front of the auditorium at the conclusion of the service for you to come and ask people just to pray for you. For all of us are going through times when we need courage. When the unexpected has happened to us. 